Let's pray. Father, as we have read Your Word and now uh, I look forward to proclaiming it, I ask that You would um, pour out Your Spirit and uh, give everyone uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive uh, Your glorious uh, Word and uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. One of the most cherished of all of God's promises to His children is surely His promise that He will never leave us or forsake us. And I think mentally, when we think of this promise, we picture in our mind's eye God walking beside us or or staying near to us. But that picture is not completely accurate. Look at verse 5, and we do encourage you to have your Bibles open. And for those of you who are visiting, it's our practice to work our way through books of the Bible, uh, passage by passage. So we've been in John now for for quite some time, and uh, this is where we are here in verse 15. Anyway, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. And I'm going to stop right there. But do you see what he's saying? Jesus is not just beside us. He's in us. He dwells in us. He has taken up residence in our soul. But that's only half of what we read. Not only does He live in us, but it also says that we are in Him. We dwell in Him. We live in Him. And so it's impossible for Him to leave us or forsake us because He's in us and we are in Him. The connection, however strong that is, is even stronger because He's not just renting a room in our soul. Our connection to Jesus is as close as your arm is to your body. There's a oneness that we have with Jesus. This is what what He's saying when He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The connection is so essential, so fundamental, that if the branch were were to be disconnected from the vine, the branch would wither and die. That's why Jesus says at the end of verse 5, apart from Me, you can do nothing. There is an essential, fundamental oneness that believers have with Jesus Christ. This beautiful idea of Jesus dwelling in us and we in Him is called by the theologians the doctrine of union with Christ. And if you're scratching your head and you're saying, I've never heard of this doctrine of the union of Christ. Well, you're not alone. John Piper said the doctrine of of the believer's union with Christ may be the most important doctrine you've never heard of. But I'm convinced that once you see and understand this concept of, of our union with Christ, you'll find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. In fact, uh, this idea of union with Christ appears over 160 times in the New Testament. Uh, This phrase, 
in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, appears so many times that we overlook it. But it is so important because it teaches us that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. In fact, I know as you begin understanding this doctrine that it will become one of your favorite doctrines in the entire Bible because you will recognize, begin to recognize the implications of this doctrine. Sinclair Ferguson said, of all the doctrines surrounding the Christian life, the doctrine of our union with Christ is one of the most profound and it is also one of the most practical in its effects. The importance of this idea of our union with Christ is underscored in the fact that Jesus, in these last, these very last few hours that He spends with His disciples before His betrayal and then His death, spends His time talking to His disciples about this idea of union with Him. You will remember that Jesus had been in the upper room uh, prior to this. He had been washing His disciples' feet uh, at the end of chapter 13. He shared the Passover meal with them. And uh, He was also began teaching them, encouraging them. And at the end of, of chapter 14, the very last phrase says, uh, Jesus said to them, Rise, let us go from here. And so, uh, apparently... Uh, Jesus and the disciples left the upper room and they began their walk down to the garden where He was betrayed. And, and the scholars tell us it was about a mile's walk from when they left the uh, gates to the city of Jerusalem. And undoubtedly, while they are walking from Jerusalem out to the garden, they passed maybe one wine vineyard, maybe several. And this likely became an object lesson for Jesus to continue to teach His disciples. And what He's teaching them is about the closeness and intimacy of His relationship with them, even though He is going to be betrayed, arrested, crucified, and put into the grave. So even though He was going to leave... Uh, leave them in death and then be resurrected and then ascend into heaven, he's, still, he's telling them, my relationship will be with you as strong as it can possibly be. I will be in you and you will be in me. Jesus did not shed His human body that He took to Himself when He was conceived in the womb of, of, uh, of Mary. He's keeping His human body for all eternity. Even in heaven, He has a human, glorified but human body. So then the question is, how can He be in us? How can He take up residence in our soul if He is physically in heaven? He had already given His disciples the answer to this question a few minutes earlier, back when they were in the upper room in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So it's the Holy Spirit 
who lives physically in our soul. This is the central role of the Holy Spirit. This is His ministry to reveal Christ to us and to unite us to Him. By using this extended metaphor of the vine and the branches, what Jesus is telling His disciples is that the Holy Spirit will bind them, unite them to Jesus. Even though He is not going to be physically present, they will be always, eternally, uh, intimately bound with their Savior. The beauty of this doctrine of our union with Christ is not just that Jesus dwells in us by the Holy Spirit and we in Him. As fantastic as that is, the implications of our union with Christ are even more wonderful. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our soul, all that Christ did becomes ours. Uh, We don't just get a little bit of His grace. We get all of it. Our union with Christ makes us beneficiaries of every spiritual blessing in Christ. I know I'm being a little technical here talking about theology. Um, So let me try and illustrate what this means. When, it, when I say that we receive all of Christ's benefits. Let's say that I'm walking down the, the street and I meet a homeless orphan child that's sitting on the curb. And I might be compassionate and I might pull out my wallet and give the child $20 out of the $100 or so that I have in my, happen to have in my wallet. Um, and that's the way... Many think about how Christ distributes His grace to us. Uh, Many think that He distributes His grace for our salvation out of this great big giant pot of salvation that He has up in heaven. He has this big storehouse of grace, and so He reaches in, gives us a handful, and says, Here, be saved. And it's his, His distribution of grace for us. And that is not the biblical picture. If I were to treat that orphan as, um, as Christ treats us in the doctrine of our union with Him, what I'd do is I'd take that orphan home. I'd adopt him. I'd lavish him with love and make him a co-heir of all my possessions along with my natural children. He would be my child. That is what God does when He unites us to Jesus Christ. We receive all of Christ's benefits. We receive all of His benefits. When the Holy Spirit binds us to Jesus, the entire work of Christ, His death, or His righteous life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His life in heaven, all that becomes ours. All the riches of God's grace in Christ are ours. John 17, verses 22 and 23 drives this point home. If you turn a couple of pages over to John John 17, you'll see in verses 22 and 23 that Jesus is praying. And in His prayer, He says to the Father, The glory that that You have given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as We are one, I in them and You in Me. 
that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that You sent Me and love them even as You loved Me. Jesus is saying several important things here in this prayer. But I especially want you to see that Jesus says in this prayer that He is going to give us the Father's glory that the Father gave to Him. Wow! His glory is going to be ours. Why? Because we are united to Christ. God has given His glory to the Son. We are united to Jesus. We receive His glory. Not only that, we're going to be one as Christians, even as God the Father and God the Son are one. What he's saying is essentially that uh, we are all one in Christ, regardless of economic status, regardless of race, regardless of anything. We are one in Christ. We are one great, gigantic family of God. That's what makes our communion uh, in this congregation so special. We belong to each other. We don't belong only to ourselves. We don't belong only to our to our family, uh, to our our nuclear family. We belong to each other in Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, he says that um, the uh, there's no difference in the way that God the Father loves us in the way He loves. Jesus. He says in that last little phrase, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Because we are united to Christ, and because God the Father loves Christ, He loves us just as much, even exactly like He loves His own Son. It's indisputable, not just because we read it in the Bible, but it's indisputable because of our union with Jesus Christ. Every blessing that Christ has is ours. That's how closely bound we are with Jesus Christ. Let me go deeper. Our union with Christ is our salvation. Because Christ became sin on the cross to pay the penalty for sin's guilt, we, being united to Him, are forgiven. You see how that works? Jesus became sin and died to pay the penalty for sin. We are united to Him. We get the forgiveness. Because Christ lived a perfectly righteous life here on earth. We, being united to Him, are perfectly righteous in God's sight. His righteousness is given to us. When God the Father looks at us, He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because Christ, the Son of God, because Christ is the Son of God, we, being united to Him, are God's dearly loved children. Because Christ rose from the grave, we being united to Him, have been resurrected from our spiritual death. 
into spiritual life. Because Christ is in heaven, we, being united to Him, are presently, according to the book of Philippians, citizens of heaven. Because Christ is in heaven, we, being united to Him, will go to be where He is. That is a certainty. Do you understand how far-reaching this doctrine of the believer's union with Christ is? Christ and our union with Him is our salvation. This, of course, means that if you are not in Christ, all that He is for us, all that He has done for us, is useless for you. You are without these benefits if you are without Christ. You cannot have His salvation without also having Him. People try and get saved by doing good things, having good intentions, trying to avoid doing especially bad things. Uh, People try and get saved by going to church, being generous to those in need, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, on and on and on. Can you see how completely pointless all this is when it comes to being saved? You can only be saved by receiving Jesus Christ. Because all the benefits that amount to our salvation, all the benefits of God's grace that we need to be saved are only exclusively found in Him. Of course, the question then is, what do I need to receive Christ? Well, that answer is simply trust Him. That's all you can do. Embrace Him by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And when you embrace Him by faith, His life will come flooding into your life as the tree sap uh, moves from the vine out into the branch. The life of Christ will transform your life. His desires will become your desires. His love for righteousness will result in your repentance. His love to obey God the Father will cause you to learn to obey Jesus. His character will be formed in you. Do you see this relationship between the vine and the branches? This is the union of the believer with Jesus Christ. His character will begin being formed in you. So Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15 reads, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. All these virtues that Paul is telling us to put on like clothes is simply the character of Jesus Christ. 
Because we are in Him, united to Him, bound to Him, and He in us, it means that we will be formed more and more into His character. Because we're connected to Him. Because we're connected to Him, the sap from the vine runs into our life. And we begin producing a life that begins to look more and more increasingly like His. It means that more and more His character will be formed in us. And in this connection, it's appropriate to mention the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, since we're talking about vine and branches. You know the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. Because when you have these things, it means that you have Jesus. Because we're connected to the vine, we will produce these fruits. These fruits, again, are simply the character traits of Jesus Christ. You can go right down through the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus is full of love. He lived a very joyful life here on earth. People have this idea that Jesus is only stern and demanding and generally sour. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus was also full of peace, even under the most difficult of circumstances. We saw that last week. He is also forbearing, patient, and forgiving. He is kind. He is good. He is faithful. He is gentle. And He always acted under complete self-control, even when He was suffering the greatest of temptations and uh, unjust circumstances. And because we are branches that are united to the true vine, we will bear these fruits, these same fruits, in increasing abundance. I've got some good news for you uh, and some bad news. The bad news is I'm only two-thirds of the way through my introduction to this sermon. The good news is that's all I'm going to get through this week, so we're almost finished. The real meat of this sermon we'll have to wait for next week. We'll learn how fruitful Christianity receives pruning. Uh, verses 1 and 2, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may be so that it may bear more fruit. So we'll learn about that next week. We'll also learn how unfruitful Christianity is fake Christianity. So again, verse 2, he says, uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And also, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So we'll learn about how unfruitful Christianity is fake Christianity. And then we'll also learn next week, Lord willing, how fruitful Christianity requires abiding in Christ. 
And so verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can, be, you can do nothing. Also verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And also verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I think this is the most important thing that this passage is telling us, is how to abide in Christ. Like I said, you're going to have to wait for that next week. So, you are all um, invited to come back and hear the rest of the sermon. But before I close, I want to give a few more of the practical benefits of our union with Christ. First of all, you can expect that God will hear your prayers if you are in Jesus Christ and you are united to Him. And we're going to look at this more next week, but I simply want to underscore that if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, He knows your prayers intimately. This idea that our prayers can't get past the ceiling or that God might might uh, miss a, a prayer request because we pray too quietly or we pray silently. Well, that's just silly. Christ knows you intimately. He is in you. You are in Him. He knows your circumstances better than you know yourself. He hears even your weakest and most frail of prayers. And so our connection to Christ, our union with Him, assures that He hears our prayers. Secondly, and lastly, Christians are always talking, it seems to me, about feeling far away from God. If you're you're thinking that your relationship with Christ is that of a friendship, or also of uh, you think of your relationship in terms of following God, I I can see um, and understand that this language of feeling far away from God would be legitimate. And it might make sense. But if you have this idea that God is really distant from you, though you are a Christian, then you need to reconsider this idea of your union with Christ. You are never, if you are in Jesus Christ, physically distant from God. Christ is in you. You are in Him. Christ doesn't take vacations from us. He doesn't pick up and move. If you know yourself to be in Christ, then you are now presently, even with all your brokenness, even with all your sin that you might be struggling with right now, you are as close to God as it is possible for any person to be. Why? Because you are bound to Christ. You are in Him and He is in you. I think these feelings of uh, feeling distant to God are our doubts that God really loves us. But we've already seen that from John 17. If you are in Christ, God loves you. Just like, exactly like, 
He loves Jesus Christ. This, this is the doctrine of our union with Christ. It is life transforming. It is life altering because it so completely teaches us about how bound we are with our Savior and how much He loves us. Let's pray. Father, as we have considered just this idea of how closely connected we are to Christ and He to us, it underscores how much You love us. Because You did not spare Your own Son, but gave Him up for us, that He might be forever intimately concerned with everything about us, in spite of our sin. In fact, because of our sin, He came and died for us. Because of our temptation to sin, He lives in us and strengthens us and makes us fruitful even in spite of ourselves. God, help us to abide in Jesus. I pray in His name. Amen. Amen.